Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of Big League Flicks, a sports movie podcast. I'm Jamie McKinnon, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Christian Webster and Jordan Reed. How are we doing tonight, boys? How are we doing, boys? Good uh, good to be back. Another episode ready to rock and roll here. Been a bit of a tough week for us here in the, uh, I'll say Great White North, but we're not really Great White, although we did get some Great White this week. <laughs> we did. Uh, but yeah, a bit, of a bit of a rough go still in this whole lockdown. You uh, Americans, you want to send some vaccines anytime soon, that'd be great. Get us out of here and uh, back in the Raj. That'd be fun. Anyways, I'll throw it over to you, JR. Well, I'm happy to be here and see you guys. Um, I want to make one quick note right now. The algorithm in Oakland is hitting in Moneyball right now. Let's call it like it is. Okay, we did Moneyball a couple of weeks ago. The algorithm is hitting right now. I was watching it today. I said to my wife, Melissa, I was like, oh, the algorithm is clocking in right now. So let's go what are they at? Like they went like on a 12-game tear or something yeah. crazy? They're winning right now. I just checked like 4-5-1 against Baltimore. I mean, not much to beat Baltimore, but hey. It's a win. A W is a W. So the algorithm's rocking and rolling, everybody. I, yeah, I was going to say, I saw something that went, like, they lost the first six, and then they reeled off, like, 12 in a row. Oh, yeah. Because Crazy. your job is to get on base. Anyway, great to be So this uh, this week, we are jumping into the old boxing ring. Do we, do we have any big fights coming up? Other than they had that stupid fight with Jake, or was it Jake Paul? Just one of the Pauls fought a U- UFC Paul. guy. And... A wrestler, and they were like saying, well, at least he fought someone tough. I'm like, yeah, but he fought a wrestler, not a striker, not like a boxer. Yeah. You see the interview that he gave? Somebody asked him if he would fight LeBron James, and he said he was like cowering, saying no way, because LeBron <laughs> 6'9 would thump him. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if it's like been completely confirmed, but Mayweather supposedly is going to fight his brother, Logan Paul, in June. Maybe in June. I think Mayweather, do something smarter with your money. Stop spending money. He's going to make a bolt. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> Just put some in the bag, I mean, man. Oh, my that, God. That being, said, that being said, you know we're going to watch it. Of course we are. Of course are. you are. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna pay and watch it let's, let's just be honest with that oh, so this week yeah, actually we are we are doing a boxing movie we're doing a newer one uh it's probably the newest up, movie we've done it is yeah what you brought up a good point where it's like we need to start doing some movies that are like newer movies people probably like there's obviously the old classics but let's let's make some new one in so web actually found this movie for us um and uh, it's it's a pretty good movie. Like so, this week uh, we're doing a movie uh, called Bleed for This. So let's jump into the trailer. We are going to start the weigh-in. Ash, answer the phone. Hello. Where's he at? Just hold him off. Tell him I'm coming. He's on the bicycle. No, dummy, is wait. What makes he at? Where you at, Vinny? I'm coming. He's coming. Everybody. Got a little surprise for you. 140 pounds even. Tomorrow night, you're gone. I'm gonna rain on you like a thunderstorm. I feel like I should be on a box of weedies doing a Gatorade commercial. If you let me do the fusion, I can guarantee you'll be able to walk again. I need to be able to fight again. 
Me. And not fuse in my neck. With this severe of an injury, one bump, one fall, any kind of movement, and your spinal cord could sever. It wasn't supposed to go like this. Yeah, I know. We're not done here, Vinny. There's a whole world outside the ring. I'm getting pretty sick of people talking about it like I'm dead. Kev, I'm gonna fight again. No, you ain't, Vinny. Vinny, no, no. We just don't know how to give up. No, I know exactly how to give up. You know what scares me, Kev? Is that it's easy. Come on, this is insane. This is bad, Angelo. You gotta do something. I can't be part of you getting hurt no more. I'm not done. Alright, I got more in me. Now go out there and show me how you do things. Show me how you live. Show me how you fight. Show me who you are. Well, you guys know the drill. Every week, before we jump into the movie, we're going to sweat the old whistle. So, without further ado, let's get into our brew review. What are we drinking tonight, Webb? Well, boys, while we really would like to uh, do uh, Vinny Paz and the the state of Rhode Island proud, we really couldn't do it. And because, you know, he gets made fun of for being from Boston, even though he's not from Boston, uh, we decided to go back to our old friends at Sam Adams. Well, I should say JR's friend because uh, they still hate me at Sam Adams. But this week we're drinking the beer that helped. We're drinking the beer that helped lead the American beer revolution. Since 1984, the Sam Adams Boston Lager has only used the finest hand-selected ingredients to create a perfectly balanced and complex brew. At 5%, this smooth-drinking pint pairs perfectly just about anything, be it a nice bruschetta made by Mrs. Pazienza herself, a date-night pizza, or even one of JR's world-famous chocolate and caramel cupcakes. So go ahead and make it a Boston Lager and have yourself a Boston Lager moment moment for more information on the boston lager as well as many of the other great beers products and services including their newest wicked hazy ipa head on over to sam adams samueladams.com or give them a follow on all your favorite social media platforms and as always big league flicks reminds you to please enjoy responsibly and always assure you have a safe ride home cheers fellas cheers Cheers. just cracking mine now all right jr why don't you give us a good uh good kick off here oh that's good uh, Sam Adams, great friend of the pod. Um, excellent company. Excellent. Uh, Web talked about their digital uh, platform, I guess it would be fantastic. They're super kind, super great. Uh, I've bought this beer also in tall cans. And in Canada, this is probably one of the easiest beers to get of Sam Adams. And it is their beer. So I I really enjoy this one. I, I've never had it out of a bottle, to be honest, the first time. So a nice icy bottle, ooh, it tastes pretty good, and it goes down real easy. And uh, I watched a little bit of The Patriot for you guys today, Sam Adams, this morning on Netflix. So I watched the first half an hour. So this one's for you guys, Sam Adams. Great, great beer. Thank you. <laughs> what the hell is that? I don't know. Anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> this, beer, this beer is sentimental to me. Um, 
back in school and JR, you've been there a few times. There's a there's a bar in a, in the rink that we played at down at Clarkson. It's called 99s, and they always had two beers on tap, and it was a dollar a beer back when I went to school there in 99s anytime, and it was always Samuel Adams and Yingling. And I, uh, Samuel Adams was a, was a go-to for me in college, so it's a lot of sentimental value. Crushed a lot of these in college, so. Great. Definitely a big fan of it, for sure. This beer is, uh, you know, it's okay. Um, it's <laughs> Sam Adams. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, Sam Adams. We love you. Uh, the boys actually put me up to that one. The last time I had this pint, uh, I actually enjoyed this one quite a bit. Uh, the last time I had this, I believe, was when Mrs. Webster and I were in Boston. Uh, we were watching the Raps put a beat down on the, who was it? wasn't the Celtics. It was in the playoffs, and they just had to, happened to have the Raptors game on when we were there, and we watched it. And uh, Jared, what's the name of that place? I always pronounce it wrong. Faneuil Hall. Faneuil Hall. Faneuil Hall. Thank Not you. Faneuil. There you go. Boston Bostonians are going to be all Holy over. Holy cow! Some more. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is uh, this is a great pint. I enjoy this one quite a bit. So, cheers to you, Sam Adams. Cheers. Yeah. Great beer. Well, yeah. So as we mentioned, uh, this week we're doing a movie called Bleed for This, boxing movie, directed by Ben Younger, distributed in 2016 by Open Road Films. It got a 6.8 uh, rating on Internet Movie Database and a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Had a budget of $16 million, grossed only $7.2 million at the box office, but I think it's become a much bigger hit like on Netflix and things like that. Um, music by Julia Holter. Uh, starring Miles Teller, Aaron Eckhart, Katie Segal, and Kieran Hines. True story, uh, I got that right. It's, it's Hines, right, Webb? Yeah. I think I had a typo, Kynes, before. Yeah, it's Hines. Hines. Uh, so, quick movie synopsis. The true inspirational story of world champion boxer Vinny Panzienda, who, after a near-fatal car crash, which left to not knowing if he'd ever walk again, made one of the one of sports' most incredible comebacks. Let's jump into our character review and let's start out with our boy Vinny Pazienza, played by Miles Teller. Uh, first of all, Miles Teller, nice job in this role. Uh, Vinny Pazienza, you know what Vinny Pazienza is, boys? He's what we miss in boxing today. I remember, I'm old enough to remember a little bit of Vinny Pazienza. I remember my dad talking about him, and he's like, "You got to come see this guy." The way he fought, the approach, the interaction with the fans, that flamboyant lifestyle, there's something about him that we just, we miss that in our boxing because we don't really seem <clears> to have it. We were just talking a minute before we recorded about like, when is the next big boxing? Like, remember the big boxing fight? We're like, was that, we missed that big fight. And Vinny Pazienza was one of those people who was polarizing for us. In this movie, we learn a lot about him and we learn what he goes through and we learn about the drive behind him. And the engine that drives that man. Um, what I found was my one of Vinny Pazienza was the fact that he lived this lifestyle. He lived the high life, but he didn't drink. And he didn't do painkillers. I always thought that was something you always kind of thought kind of went hand in hand. And, you know, he talks about when he's going, um, the scene where he's going to talk to his dad. He's like, all right, Pop, I'm going to cut it in early tonight. And they're both going out to the ch- tables that like things like that. You're like, this guy's awesome. And the drive in that character, though, what you see is you see all that flamboyancy, then you see him, the amount of work he actually puts into it and to his craft and how intense he is, how dedicated he is, how driven he is. Does he have his flaws? Of course he does. But at the same time, I rooted for him the whole time. I was rooting for this guy, and he's what I missed in boxing. The boxing I grew up with as a kid 
it's not there anymore. And it was characters like Vinnie Pazienza, Hector Macho Camacho, uh, the prince. Remember the prince? Uh, what was Wait, his the name? Scene. The scene, that entrance and that flamboyancy and the idea where he's stringing on the crowd and he's trying to fight. Raw, even Roberto Duran, even though he was so serious, you had Roberto Duran was a character. You had Sugar Ray Leonard, you had Martin Arturo Hector, Gotti, Arturo Gotti, Hitman Hearns. You had guys who were you're like you gravitated to, and we don't really have that that much anymore. That's why we're looking to Logan Pauls. That's how far we're reaching at this point, guys. Like Logan that's and Jake Paul, like that's where we're reaching now because we're looking for our characters. And Vinny Pazienza was our character, and he was the one of the people to me that was boxing. So Irish Mickey Ward, another one. Like we can go on and on of the eras. So nothing but respect for what he had to do and overcome. Um, much love for that. Very cool, very interesting, polarizing. Um, I'm sure there were naysayers all over the place, and he did a good job putting those down. At the same time, being a champion, but yeah, it's funny. Like all those things you're talking about the. Um, the fact that we don't really have those here, that's in sports in general, right? I feel like now it's the whole idea of the brand, right? And what endorsements you get and how you promote yourself on social media and everything else that we don't really have the same caricatures that we used to have in sports, right? And the ones that we do have, like guy, I, like the guy that comes to mind for me is like Conor McGregor, right? Who is like a larger than life personality, but he's just an asshole for a lot of people. Like a lot of people have a hard time liking him just because he seems like such a jackass. But that being said, like he is just being him. And like, while we sit there and we like want to tear him down because he's such a jack, he's exactly what we want in a fighter. We want somebody who's going to be a shameless self promoter and, and uh, who, who thinks that they're better than everybody else. Like I, I have in, in this particular for, for Vinny, right? Like he's stubborn as all hell. Right, but you have to be if you're going to be a boxer. If somebody's Absolutely. telling you you can't do it, like you're already lo- you're already losing. So you have to be. I think the line that's fitting the most when, it, when we think about this guy and his character and his arc and everything else in this movie, and like I'm sure in his real life, there's a line at the beginning of the movie in that scene that you were just talking about, Jr., where he's leaving and going to the tables, right, and he's passing and hiding his old man, and the and the the dealer says to him, you know, shouldn't you be calling it a night, basically, and like you got. And the girl's like, oh, yeah, he's just an animal. And I'm like, he is. He's a fucking animal. Like, he can't be controlled. He's going to do what he's going to do. And he's going to try and do it 125% because that's mm-hmm. the only way he knows how. Right? Even when he's in the laid up in the hospital bed, he's, like, trying to move his fucking arms. Right? And, like, a fracture. Like, his spine is hanging on by, like, a friggin' paper clip at this point, And he's, like, jumping all around like he's listening to some hardcore metal. I don't know. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> Good point. Uh, yeah, Good he, point. he's a he's a he's a friggin' guy that you do want to root for because he's balls to the wall all the time, and you you can get behind somebody that's just going to continue to give it to you like that, Jim. Yeah, no, you guys nailed all of that. The only thing I'm going to mention is uh, just I just want to talk about quickly about Miles Teller. He's a terrific actor. He's a, you mentioned it before we we actually started the pod web about how talented he is and how many uh, banger movies he's been on already. Like he's really. Knocked out a lot of great movies, Whiplash, and uh, he's actually slated, and I'm so pumped about this movie, I know you guys are too, but um, the Top Gun sequel, he's slated to play uh, Lieutenant Nick Radshaw, a.k.a. Goose's Kid, so I'm really pumped to see that. So you can see him in the trailer in that one. Um, he's he's got quite the dossier, I like, and I mean, I'm, I made the comparison, I feel like he's going to be like... You know, in 25 years from now, we're going to be talking about him the same way we're talking about Tom Hanks. 
Yeah. Right. Like just that kind of, that kind of, I feel like he's got that kind of longevity ahead of him. Absolutely. Let's jump into uh, Kevin Rooney played by Aaron Eckhart. Another really good actor. Uh, Really good job of playing somebody like Kevin. So good at what he does, but just so self-destructible at the same time. Um, I think they have a really, him and Vinny, like their relationship as it goes on is pretty neat. You can see them fighting. They're literally like, he's like a big brother almost to Vinny more than anything. And you can see him. He's like, you know, hey, Kevin, you think you should be drinking right now after he just got his DUI, after he got whatever. You can see them ripping at each other, but there's nothing but love. Yeah. And you can see how they're both basically at the dead end. They're told they're both done. You're over. And they go back into that gym and they start to put the work in together. And they they respect each other, but hate each other, but love each other at the same time. And it's literally like, a, I don't have a brother, but it seems like a brother kind of relationship with that, where it's kind of like they fight, but love. And that idea how they put the time in in the gym, that's the kind of guy, though, in the end, Kevin, you do want in your corner. And Vinny knows it. They all know it. That is the guy who you have. He's the guy, you know, you need to wake, uh, move up weight. He really has his back. But at the same time, he's so self-destructible. Like, he just, you can't, like, Eckhart does a great job, I think, of playing the the role. He does an awesome job of acting. But the character here, like, you're just so, at the, you just stick it to yourself every time. And, like, don't touch that car. Don't touch it. He, he was going to. So I had him as just, very important. Great job as his role. And you really wanted to root for him at the same time. He just kept stepping on himself the whole time. When you're talking about them being like brothers, the perfect scene that that, that like sums it up for me is when they're sitting at the dinner table and they're like giggling back and forth at each other underneath yeah. the breath because they know the inside joke that we're fucking training in the basement, even though I'm had this halo on my head and I shouldn't be doing any of this. And they're like dying laughing and the dad's like you two look at you hate each other one moment you're laughing like it so reminds me of like my brother and i being kids right and like giggling about something that was an inside joke between the two of us that our parents were totally oblivious about right so you know you nailed the uh, nailed it on the head with that one jer i will say like this for me in terms of aaron eckhart this is probably my favorite role he's been in other than thank you for smoking like i love thank you for smoking it's one of my favorite movies i just find it super smart uh, and I thought he was brilliant in this. He's got some of the best lines in the movie uh, in this particular character as, as Kevin. But I also think that he just, he does, like you said, a great job of playing that self-destructive, like I'm down on the last end. Um, but like, he's just, it, it's, he, he does such a great job. On it. I love, love everything about it. He's got one of, one of my favorite lines is the, uh, some of that, what, how do I want to make sure I say it right? Cause I don't want to like do them. Some hits you, uh, you aren't being tough by taking. Like just, he's such a savant when it comes to boxing, right? Like he just understands it on such a high level, but yet the most basic human being, you know, social skills, he has no fucking clue of like, it's just, it's perfect, like spectrum type behavior for me. Um, and it's hilarious at the same time, Jim. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that too, Webb. Um, and I'll, I'll I mean, I'm, I'm letting the dog out of there or whatever, saying is cat out of the bag sorry dog out of the bag what an idiot um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh just a little known fact about it later freddie roach was one of the consultants on this movie and i can see a lot of freddie roach in this character even though i know um he's uh, aaron eckhart's playing kevin rooney i think i see a lot of uh, freddie roach's influence in how eckhart portrays this character and it, mm-hmm. and it goes 
exactly to what you just said. Like Freddie Roach is a savant when it comes to boxing from a social aspect. He's just like, he's just, you know what I mean? Like he's, he is not a, like a social butterfly. He wants, he wants to be in his gym. He's training guys and he's, that's his life. That's what he Do you does. know what the one thing I really appreciate about his uh, particular character? And again, I don't know how true this is to him, the, the Kevin guy in real life. He never tries to put himself like um, in the spotlight. Right, it's always about Vinny. It's always about his okay. fighters. It's never about him. When you look at uh, whatever the other guy's name is that we're going to talk about here in a minute, like when he's getting interviewed from HBO on the way out or whatever, or like, and even Freddie Roach to some extent, right? Like, he's not one to shy away from being in front of a camera any opportunity he gets, and like rightfully so, he's had a lot of success, whatever. Um, but you know, I just don't see that he he. Kevin is like the closest thing to me I've seen on screen to a Mickey, right? Yeah. Where it's like he he's kind of behind the scenes and he, but he's just such a savant, knows how to get his guy geared up to where he needs to be. Yeah, no, he did a he did a great job. Two things I just want to mention about uh, Aaron Eckhart and this character: one, pretty sick Carrera that he's driving. Oh, unreal, unreal. And, uh, number two, might be the worst hairline we've seen in a sports movie so far. It's very, uh, <laughs> it's very, it's uh, very, it's very Tropic Thunder esque. Uh, oh, Tom yeah. Cruise's comb over. It's not even like a Les Grossman. Lex Grossman. Yeah, it's not even like a full cul de sac. It's like a, it's like a sky dome. It looks like the full sky. Cul de sac. It's a retreat. It's just a French retreat at this point. <laughs> it looks like the sky dome when they like they don't know if they're gonna have to close it all the way or not. The roof's half, half open, half, half closed. Or <laughs> <laughs> get stuck. Remember the dome got stuck one time. <laughs> That. <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. All right, let's, oh, jump into, let's jump into Luis Pazienza, played by Katie Segal. Uh, awesome. She was Katie. fantastic. And yeah, Third. I think I think she did a great job of... Uh, <laughs> I think she did a great job of uh, playing the mom role. I like the idea that she had all her nuances. She had all her like, little idiosyncrasies she went through. I think the idea of the family meals, I think she that was a cool... Those were cool scenes. I really liked actually liked those scenes. And... You could tell she tried to keep the family, that whole idea of the family kind of being together as one. Even though you're a superstar championship fighter, you're going to sit at this little table and have a big meal with everybody. I really actually like that. Um, I thought her during the fights, I, I, you know, as a parent, that would be awfully hard to have your child in there. And I think that was pretty real and pretty cool how she did that. And I mean, whatever she had to do, I think that was very believable. So I thought she played a very believable mom-based character in this movie. Like, yeah, super kooky uh, with all her figurines and like lighting the candles mm -hmm. and everything else. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would imagine, obviously I'm not, but like if you were a mother of a professional fighter, it would be pretty um, nerve wracking, oh, yeah. right? To, to have to sit there and kind of go through that and the constant pressure uh, um, and feeling like, Jesus Christ, my kid's going to get hurt at any moment, right? Just as a parent in general, you're worrying about that. And then you amplify it by the fact that this person's willingly going in there knowing that they're going to get their face punched in. Um, it, it would be, it would be a lot. So it's believable for sure that, you know, she wouldn't want to be involved in watching that. I thought she did a, a, a good enough job for what it was. It, the role wasn't big enough for me to really sink my teeth into, but like I said, she did for what it was asking. I think she, I think Katie Siegel did a great job. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause this is probably the most subdued we've ever seen her in a role. Yeah. Like, Sons of Anarchy, she's, yeah, I was going to say, she's pretty full on in that. And then 
she's got that new show out right now that she's I think she's like basically like Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, she's she's usually plays like a real big like alpha woman. Uh, maybe, not, maybe not married with children. She was kind of like <laughs> you know, but but I mean like <laughs> all of her like lead type roles that she's gotten since then. You know, like she's been a pretty uh, pretty, pretty polarizing character, and yeah, this is the most subdued I, I've seen her in a long, long time, like really at all. She looks uh, good in this movie though. Like she looked yeah. like she looked like a tiny little mom. Yep, she did. She played it perfect, like you said. I think she did really well for what the role asked for. It wasn't a big role, I don't think. Uh, but she, you know, she portrayed that, and you guys already mentioned it really, but like the the New England Catholic mom that's got a kid that boxes who literally just leads with his face. Um, yeah. Let's jump into uh, Angelo Pazienza, played by Kieran Hines. Um, I respect him for his love of his kid. Um, I think he was also important. I think, you know, he kinds did a great job playing the role. Uh, I respect him for his love of the kid and his interest and all that, but I could not stand this guy. I'm not going to lie to you boys. I, he was not for me. He is Mr. Like in Ont- our Ontario. He's like Mr. Hockey dad. He's like basically oh. boxing dad where you're like, you just need to go away now. And he drove me nuts. He, I think he liked the limelight more than Vinny. If you want to know the truth. He liked the uh, the high roller life that Vinny basically provided for him. He drove me insane. I couldn't stand the guy. I'm, that's all like it is. I didn't like anything about him. Um, when he gets uh, when he tells Kevin, you know, get out of my house. You're like, yeah, okay, fair enough. He stood up a little bit at that point, but I didn't like him at all. Web. I wanted nothing to do with him. I thought he was just one of those dads looking for the attention, and he reminds me of one of those dads who's more interested in being your friend than being your father. Yeah, at the beginning, especially, you hate his guts, right? Because he just yeah. seems like such a user, right? Yeah. Like, he's like, my kid's my kids making me, you know, what little success I have. And he's not, my kid's making his way in the world, and I'm riding his coattails kind of thing um, with his sweet office, you know, uh, up, above the, uh, <laughs> up above the gym there. But, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. And, again, I don't know enough about, Pazienza and like his actual dad and all these these the real life people that these are based off. I don't know enough about the history, but you know, I would think I would think when your kid goes through a near death experience like the car accident, it's got to change you in some way. So at points, I found myself having a hard time believing that he would actually he would actually care as deeply as he did because he just didn't seem like that at the beginning of the movie. Do you know what I mean? Because he seemed like such a loser and and a degenerate. But at the same time, I, I got there thinking like, okay, maybe this is, and so maybe, sorry, and I finished that. Maybe they were kind of like writing this in as like um, a tribute to the to the actor because Kieran is such a great actor, right? And we've seen him. Yeah, we yeah. talked off off before the plot about all the great stuff he's been in, and so they like maybe didn't want to throw him totally under the bus by sinking him and sandbagging him this bad with this role, but. Uh, but part of me thinks like that stuff's got to change in some way. So maybe there is some kind of redeeming quality about him in wanting to, you know, actually finally be a parent instead of his friend, as you were saying, JR, like when he's talking about like, yeah, I should, I should have had this conversation with you. Like so many fights ago about not coming back. And like, you've been getting your head kicked in for a long time, basically. And you need to hang it up, especially now. Cause you, you'll never walk again at this rate. So, you know, I, I think there's gotta be some t- you know, a tinge of truth to that. Um, and so from that standpoint, I, I kind of, I got to believe that he's an all right human being somewhere deep down. I don't know, James. 
No, I think you're right, Webb. And I think that was written that way by design. I think I think we see him change in the movie. The accident, I think, is what changes him, right? Yeah. And we see him moving from, like, a focus on... Uh, the Vinny, boxer. Yeah, Vinny's career as a boxer and his gym. Like, obviously, Vinny pumps his gym up, right? That His dad makes his money off his gym. And, uh, and then we see him becoming more of a father where he's... His first priority is Vinny's health, and that's why he's, you know, trying to protect him, you know, and, he, and he's so mad about them training in the basement, and, and then even when he fights Duran, he can't, he, it's, they, they make a big thing about announcing, the announcers say that this is the very first fight in Vinny's entire career where his dad's not in his corner, because he, he, now he's at a point where he's like, I don't, you know, this is my kid, he shouldn't be fighting here, I'm not going to support it by being in his corner, so to speak. So I do think we do see that transfer. I think it was written that way for a purpose, and I think we do see that transformation in that character. Yeah, I agree with you though, Jerry. He's a total scumbag. At the beginning, oh, there's things he's, he does. He's super. Greasy. I don't like him. I don't like him. No. Um, let's jump into Lou Suva, played by Ted Devo- uh, Ted Levine, who was, uh, if I'm if I'm correct about this, Ted Levine was uh, Buffalo Bill in uh, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Yeah, he's a guy. <laughs> he's a guy who just—he's a boxing man. I don't know what else to say. This guy's a boxing man and goes with the flavor of the week, boys. I—I I, I know Lou, of Lou Duva pretty well. I've heard lots of stories of Lou Duva. I, he's just a boxing man. He is like the kind of guy that Vinny at the end of the movie is talking about when, you know, within boxing, there's all this shiny things that you see, but on behind boxing, that I think he's basically—he's kind of hinting at your those types of characters. So uh, I just have him as a man in boxing, kind of like the old Stone Cold Steve Austin, DTA, don't trust anyone. I'm going to go a little bit with that. Uh, and he's just, he's in it for him. And yep. that's just the way it is, Webb. Yep. Those two guys, Lou and whatever the other dark-haired Muppet guy's name is. What is wrong with that guy? Yeah, that guy's got the worst haircut. Him and uh, I, him and Biggio, they, they go to the same barber there, apparently. <laughs> they, uh, like, seriously. His hair is awful. Just terrible. Anyways, they, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have anything nice to say about this guy. He's everything that's wrong with sports, right? He's just a mm-hmm. total user and abuser. He has his place in that he, you know, there's the business aspect of it. And he's always trying to look for an angle. So, yeah, I guess you kind of need those Typical people to keep the entertainment factor going, I guess, maybe. But there's nothing about this guy that you like. He sandbags Vinny right off the, start, off the start by basically telling the world that his career is over, right? So he's just, he's out for number one. He, he doesn't give a shit about anybody else, so. I don't. I can't stand him either, Jr. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, uh, he's he's a typical promoter. It's funny too, because like when when you talk like when they talk about sandbagging him after he fights Mayweather, um, he went on to fight a ton of other fights. He fought Durant twice, beat him twice, and he fought Roy Jones Jr. Like he yeah. fought some he fought some big big dogs in the sport after. Yeah. After his accident, even like all, all of those fights came after his accident. So, yeah, I know he's. I got off topic there, but yeah, he's he's just a classic scumbag promoter. Are there any other notable characters that jump out for you guys? Other than like Lou Duva, is that his son? The guy with the weird hair? I don't know. That guy is a scumbag. I, I want to say they're brothers. Fair enough. Whatever he is, the one thing I want to add about Paz, and I forgot to mention it is, if you look at his history, and you got to give him a lot of credit. 
he is an absolute fighter. How many fights yeah. he had? In a year, he would have three to four fights. You're like, that is a fighter. He didn't you're, constantly, you're constantly in a camp. He's like, in a camp. Constantly in a camp. From like 93 to 97, that guy fought a ton. If you look at 94, he just, and then there's like a December 94 and then like 95 or 93, there's a lot of fights in a row. So That's sorry, crazy. I wanted to add that in. If you look at it, it you got to tip your cap and say that guy's a fighter. And that, uh, that Gilbert Dele- delay that he fought, the guy that he, you know, he kind of mm-hmm. had his comeback fight after Roger Mayweather, that guy was no joke. That guy was legit. I remember him briefly too. Like he had a, he held the, I think he held the title for a couple of fights and then he lost to Vinny, but that guy could, that guy could throw him. He was super tough. He was that, he was a French guy, if I correctly. Mm-hmm. But I remember that name from the early 90s. So yeah, the only other character I had was that Duva guy, the other Duva or whoever it is yeah. with him. That guy was and Duva. I ha- I'm going to go with uh, the brother-in-law. Oh, and his yeah. elephant figurines. <laughs> that guy was a beauty. Uh, and like, just like, I just sat there. I was like, holy fuck. Like, he must be hung like a horse to be hammering Doreen. Like, seriously, let's call it yeah. like it is. She's yeah, okay. He's, 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 he's kicking way past like the that. coverage. AJR, way he's past way the coverage. Past the coverage on that one. He must be hung like an elephant. We gotta use oh, yeah. an appropriate, uh, appropriate saying. He's punching above his weight class. There, yeah. okay, fine. there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's jump into some quotes. What are some quotes that stuck out for you guys? Quotes I had, um, sorry, the uh, Kevin one, don't touch the car. I thought that was pretty funny when he met him that morning. That whole scene when he first shows up with don't touch the car, and then when Kevin shows up, he's like, you're drunk, I'm hungover. Big difference. Or it's like like he's talking about the hangover versus drunk. No, I smell like Providence. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what I had. Uh, I was going to say, one of mine, you smell like liquor, yeah? And you smell like Rhode Island. (laughs) Or Rhode Island, sorry. (laughs) Another one I had was uh, Vinny when he said to Mayweather, I got a surprise for you. And he had the the tiger thong underwear on. That's the the stuff we miss in boxing, though. We miss that, like that, where you're just like, this guy's a clown. See, that was one of mine, too, JR, because the next line after it, he goes, get your dick out of my face. He goes, see that? He can't take his eyes off me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, go ahead, Webb. We'll we'll fire away. Oh, sorry. Uh, The other one I had, had the two I talked about, the other one was uh, good news. He hits like a girl. (laughs) That was a pretty good one. He just came back. Uh, and you're not going to know anyone. It's a Tuesday. Only skanks and hoes work Tuesday. Well, you might know everyone. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin had the best ones for me. Uh, Kevin but, but is, a, was, is a quote machine. He's a yeah, quote he machine. had some great ones. I had uh, where Vinny says, I won my first title, and then Kevin says, yeah, as a lightweight, I know. The first time I got laid was in the high school parking lot. You don't see me taking my wife there every time I want to get my rocks off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I mean, you, you just don't know how to give up. And then Vinny's like, no, I do. Trust me, I do. I know exactly how to give up. You know what scares the shit out of me, Kev? It's, it's that it's easy. And I, and that's kind of goes to a line that he talks about in the interview at the end of the movie that he has with that reporter. And she's like, you know, he's talking about uh, all the lies he's been fed as a boxer. And she's like, what's the biggest lie? And he's like, uh, it's not that simple. And she's like, what's that simple? And he's like, well, that's the lie that it's not that simple and that it actually is that simple when they, when they're always telling you, um, you know, I want a bigger fight or I want this, or you, you should, you should quit. And and they're saying it's not that simple. They want you to do what they want 
you to do and not necessarily what's best for you. And it would be that simple if you just listen to the advice and quit. So I thought that was a pretty deep and interesting mm-hmm. way that he framed that. Let's jump into some little known facts. So this film is only the third film directed by direct, uh, director Ben Younger. The other, the only other movies directed by Younger are The Boiler Room, which was a sick flick. From very, TV. very good movie. And another movie, Prime, which had, I think, uh, what's her name? Uma Thurman was in that one. And then he took it for 10 years and he did this movie. So it's pretty interesting. Like, Boiler Room was, like, one of my... That's, that's up there in one of my, like, all-time movies. I love that movie. It's a sneaky oh, yeah. good movie. Yeah. Great movie. That's some pretty good scenes. Like, remember the Ben Affleck scene where he throws his keys on the table? Cabriolet. Yeah, I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> just a great movie with a lot of great actors at the time like Giovanni Ribisi Affleck had a, a young Vin Diesel like it was some really good characters in that movie um, so in an interview with Town and Country Magazine by Adam Wraith Ben Younger intimated that he had taken a 10 year break from the movie business and then decided to get back into it admittedly Younger said that he knew nothing about boxing but said Pazienza's story resonated with him and even inspired him to write to write to write and direct this movie. Uh, he said it kind of mirrored his own career as a director or in the film industry, uh, and he saw it as kind of like a way to make a comeback or a redemption. So he, that's what really drew him to the to the movie. So when approached by Younger to be an executive producer on the film, legendary director Martin Scorsese said, "This is the greatest story never told." It is an amazing story. It's, it's kind of mm-hmm. to me that it took this long to 2016 for someone to make this movie. Like, yeah. how was this movie not made like literally the year after it, that he won the title? Even like, you know what I mean? Like, or at least a little while after he won it's, the title. It's your prototypical sports movie, right? Like, it's the comeback. It's the underdog. Like, it's everything that we all love about sports. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it is. And I didn't, like, I had heard of Vinny Pazienza, but I didn't know his story at all until I watched this movie. And I'm like, what? Like, how did I, how have I not heard about this? Like, it, it was a really great story. So in order to prepare for writing and directing this movie, Younger spent a lot of time watching boxing movies and making notes of things that he wanted to avoid. So he spent more time taking notes about things he didn't want to make as opposed to, like, what he wanted to make. Because he wanted to stay away from the cliches and all the stuff that had been done over and over and over and over, which we've seen. And there's a lot of great boxing movies, and a lot of boxing movies also that have a ton of cliches, right? So he's trying to avoid that. I think he did a fairly good job. Like, this is a more, this is more of a unique movie when it comes to boxing than probably a lot of the ones that follow the same, you know. Um, like, I found that the training montages in this one were cooler. There's something... Because there wasn't, they weren't corny and cheesy. No. Like the thing that's the thing that, and I mean, I'll get into this a little bit later, but the thing that I, or maybe I should just get into it now because yeah. I'm already halfway there. But one of the things that like, I, when I, when I watched this movie the first time, the thing I thought of the, it kind of resonated with me the same way that like Christopher Nolan's Batman did for me. Oh, like yeah. Batman had been always like, it'd been a successful franchise, right? It's like, and boxing movies the same way. like, they'd been successful, whatever. But the Nolan franchise looked at Batman in a completely like dark and grimy anti-hero kind of way. 
this movie to me looks at boxing that same way. It takes yeah. it takes boxing and looks at more the underbelly and the characters and the and the um, the flaws mm-hmm. more so than the actual success and the pomp and the circumstance. Like it speaks to that a little bit. And maybe that was, and maybe that's just natural because it's Pazienza's like actual story, right? Like right. he was kind of on top riding. It, he was maybe never really actually on top riding high and then kind of got there. Right. But like the fact that it took so long to make it doesn't mean that he's had the, the success and the longevity long term that say a guy like Mike Tyson has had or these other guys who have kind of had that fall from grace. Uh, so like I, I, found myself there's a lot of similarities there and that's why this movie for me i really enjoy this movie because it's it's more realistic right like you 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 see more of the flaws and the characters are way more relatable it's it's kind of one of the things like you guys say it's gritty it's a very gritty it's very gritty you're in it and you're vested in it and you're emotionally more in it it's funny because you're not sure how it's going to end and like, I mean, I knew Vinny Pazienza, but if you don't know, you're like, is this going to end well for you? Or are you just going to like end up a complete failure more than you ever were? Right. So it's funny, Jerry, you say that because the one line I have here under, you know, I make my notes for the rankings and whatever. Love how dark and grimy this movie feels. Yep. It so, does. Like, yeah. Definitely. No, and you mentioned it before too, Webb, uh, before we started, when we talked about Scorsese. There's a lot of Scorsese that uh, you can see the the influence in this movie. There's a lot of his grittiness and all his, you know, like Mean Streets and uh, The Color of Money and those type of things. There's a lot of... Camera stuff. angles, just, yeah, it's um, neat. Yeah. Yeah, they did a really good job with that. Uh, another interesting point, uh, Bruce Cohen was also a producer on the film. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with some of his work, but he's produced some really good movies over the years. Uh, American Beauty. Uh, nice. Milk. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook. He's he's been involved with some really big big successes, and yeah. So I mean, you've got some pretty amazing uh, mentors, heavy, heavyweights in there. Yeah, some, yeah. From a producing standpoint, and they, Ben Younger did a great job directing, in my opinion. Like it's it's pretty good. So Miles Teller himself was in a near fatal car crash uh, just one year before his friend died. Uh, in a car crash, so there's he's already got a lot of kind of history with you know horrific crashes and things like that. Uh, he now wears a, bra- a green bracelet that reads "Buckle up for Bo" in honor of his friend that passed away. The bracelet can be seen in most of his films, except for when he does it doesn't fit his character. I didn't take a look to see if it was in this movie, but I'm sure maybe it was, especially because they were doing a movie about. Uh, uh, you know, so car I, I, crash. athlete that has a car crash. So I wonder too. Like we we talked about how well Teller did in this movie in the role. I wonder if he used a lot of the uh, of the emotions and stuff from from his real life um, experiences to to bring into the character. I wonder if that was something that was part of his method. You know, a lot of a lot of times. I bet he. Yeah. So uh, Miles Teller trained with boxing trainer Daryl Foster, who trained fighters like Sugar Ray Leonard and helped Will Smith become Muhammad Ali for the movie, 2001 movie Ali. Smith, like uh, that movie, I remember when that movie came out, I love that movie. That, I haven't yeah, seen it in a long really time. You never hear about it anymore, but like I remember that was like the first time that Will Smith really transformed his figure. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was always just like kind of comedy, but he became a legit serious like action star for me after Ali. 
when he really bulked up, put like 30 pounds on. And the Ali, he put on a ton of muscle. Yeah. He was huge. Yeah. And he could fight in Ali. You're like, this guy's yeah. slick. Like, he moved well. He, he did well. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's very, Will Smith's a good athlete. Go look at him. Very good athlete. Yeah. Yep. So, Vinny uh, Pazienza's win against Gilbert Delay did not come by way of knockout at 147 of the second round, but rather via referee stoppage at 210 of the 12th round. Also, this fight did not take place immediately after his loss to Roger Mayweather. Pazienza lost to Mayweather in 1988, and the fight with Delay happened in 1991, three years later. So during this time period, Vinny Paz fought seven times, which <laughs> goes to show you how, like you were talking about, Jair, how many times this guy would fight every year. Uh, oh, yeah. Three of these fights were for titles, and he lost two of those title shots and won one of them. Because I think when he was fighting against DeLay, they let it slip, actually, in the movie when uh, I think it was uh, the trainer that was talking to uh, one of the... or talking to the um, the promoters. Duva? Is it Duva? Who's their name? Yeah. Uh, Duva? Yeah. Uh, and he was saying, you just wanted to have a title unification fight. And I think that's, I think Vinny actually held a belt at that time. So mm-hmm. when he fought Delay. So, um, yeah, so there's a little bit of inaccuracy there, but I know they were trying to build up. Don't you find that the most frustrating about boxing, how many titles there are? Yeah. Yeah. It's it so annoying. What yes. weight class? Yeah, it's yes. what it should be. Not these yeah. like IBF, WBO, yeah. IFO, whatever. The, there's it just so dilutes it. IBA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the fight with Duran took place on June 25th, 1994, two and a half years after his actual comeback fight in December 1992. His car accident occurred on November 12th, 1991. Despite these facts, the movie sets the date of the Duran fight as June 25th, 1990, which is actually, they, they haven't even set it. They, they've set it in the movie even before. Like, like it was, the timelines are just way off. I, I don't know why it was they had it that way, but... Kind of screwed, screwed things off a little bit, but mm-hmm. Vinny uh, Pazienza's comeback fight was not against Roberto Duran, as I just mentioned. It was actually against uh, Luis Santana in December of 1992. Pazienza won handily in a decision 100 and, uh, 100 to 90, and 100 to 89, and 100 to 88. He waited six more fights before he faced Duran and won. And although it should be noted that Duran was 43 years old at the time, so you right at the tail end of his career. But no matter what, I mean, you're fighting a legend. Those guys, as long as they're still in the ring, they're, they're you know, he, they call them the hands of stone for a reason. And, you know, those guys can, even even in their older age, we've seen guys like Foreman. And I was going to say, George Foreman seemed to do okay. Yeah, they're super tough. I mean, once you punch somebody in the face, everything goes out the window and, you know, you, <laughs> you get stripped down there. Let's jump into our realism review. What did you guys find realistic about this movie and what might have been a little bit unrealistic for you guys? So some of the stuff I found <clears throat> realistic was, I thought some of the camera angles were good, um, the corner talk, uh, the advice from Kevin, that relationship I've already talked about, I thought was pretty cool. Um, the, the names with Pazienza and the names that they're talking about were great. Um, the events and venues they sold you on all that, the big Las Vegas, that whole, that whole scene of Las Vegas, I thought was pretty cool. Um, I thought the other real parts were, um, the talking about like him, the halo piece. I thought that was pretty interesting and pretty fairly accurate. One part that I had to be 
inaccurate was so when Vinny was getting the halo removed and he didn't want painkillers, um, how when they're pulling the screws out, I mean, this is gonna be graphic, but like he's screaming and doing, but his hands are perfect, feet are perfectly still. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but like in that movie, his oh, feet are perfectly still. I thought he broke the chair. But he's like going crazy, but everything's like perfectly still in the end and his feet and whatever. But like if that's happening, I don't know. I think more would be going on than just that. I still think that. I figure his pain threshold's got to be a little bit higher than most people, though. It's getting punched be. in the face for a living. Yeah. Well, that that's got to be so. That you, I know. I my. Man. I was gonna say on that note, I can't imagine that the doctor would legally no. legally no. allow it to happen. Right? Like he'd be like, I can't. Like, I'll be sued out my ass. Yeah. So I think some. I think that part that scene to me. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I've been wrong many times, hundreds of times, thousands of times before. But I, that part for me kind of stood out as one. Um, I thought the other real things were some of the lifestyle, the grandeur of the whole thing, the showmanship. I loved. I thought they did a lot of good stuff that was pretty, pretty cool and pretty real. The fake stuff, some of the things with that. Jamer, you already talked about the times between the seven fights before. Um, the idea of the Roberto Duran piece. Yeah, they didn't really hype up that he talked about he was older. Uh, if he was fighting, I know with 43, like you guys talked about where a fighter, you never know, but a 30 to 35 year old Roberto Duran, he would have been in one. I don't know. Oh, he would have been long. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a, Roberto Duran was pretty, he was no joke. So I thought that part, they didn't really talk about that, but you knew Roberto Duran. He's pretty old in this fight. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to hit on a ton of things, but those are, I'm not a boxing guru by any means, but those are some things to me. Yeah. Like for me, I actually think because they made this, um, so much different than other boxing movies, the realism piece kind of stayed true. The fact that they were able to clip in so much of the real life into the movie Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and they did it pretty seamlessly. Like you couldn't really tell you're like, Oh, that's the actual interview or that's, you know, the real Marv Albert doing the call or things like that. There were those pieces where I was like, Oh yeah, like this is essentially a biopic. So, I mean, of course there's going to be some realism to it. Um, I thought they did a really good job. I, I mean, other than the stuff that Jamer, you, you kind of came up with in your research there. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I thought they did a pretty bang up job for the realism. I like the fact that like, the training didn't seem like over the top. Like it's not like Rocky taking a, you know, a seven <laughs> foot pine tree and strapping it across his shoulders and lugging up a mountain with it and then doing some, you know, crazy deadlift squat combination into a, uh, and running the KGB. Yeah. And then running from the KGB and it, like, you know what I mean? It was just, it's, it, it just seemed way more realistic. And like I said, the thing that I like about this movie and ones that my favorite, I guess, sports movies typically are more about the character themselves and the sport, right? And getting to know the person. Um, and I think this movie, above all the other ones that we've done in terms of boxing movies, does that better than a lot of them. So, yeah, I I, uh, I thought they did a pretty good job in terms of real, realism. Yeah. And just adding on to what you just mentioned, Webb, I just wanted to say that in this one, one thing I really liked is the boxing scenes. They look like they were boxing. Not, you know, a lot of boxing movies—they're just swinging from their heels, like they're getting clean, like huge. Everything's match. a haymaker. Everything's a haymaker. Everything's like pure contact, like flush hit on the cheek, like on the chin, and they'll take like 250 power punches in a fight and somehow still be staying. Like that's what I liked about this movie. It's like, oh, like no, they're actually boxing, and it looks like an actual boxing match, and they're not like 
like some of the punches are grazing off the shoulder or some of the, you know what I mean? Like it looked, it looked more realistic like that than a lot of typical movies even, are. Like even movies. the injuries and the way the cut men yeah. dealt with the injuries, right? Like you think of like yeah. Balboa or any, like yeah. any of those Rocky movies, like <laughs> his face always is looks, looks like chewed hamburger one time it's done. Yeah. Like, you know, what was pretty cool. I got to give them credit for too. was the last scene when, um, Vinny's having the interview. The scars look legit. On yeah. his face. They weren't like over the top, but you could tell. Yeah, like this guy's been in a lot of fights. And the way his nose was, things like that, too. Yeah. And the scars like on his upper cheek line, uh, jaw lines and things. I'm like, oh, that's true. They did a good job with that for sure. Um, yeah, one, thing did. I did wanna, one thing I did want to make a note of as an unrealistic thing with regards to the, the stuff is uh, when, he, when he comes back to the corner after round one, and, uh, in, and actually a couple of the fights like the delay fight and the Duran fight where he gets popped he's already got bruising like you don't get bruising that quickly like bruising takes a while to set in like you're going to be red you're going to have like red spots but you're not going to be like blue like that doesn't happen that quickly so I thought that was a little bit unrealistic but and the other thing I wanted to mention was like the actors who they had to play Roger Mayweather uh, Gilbert Delay and Robert, Roberto Duran they did a great job because those guys looked a lot like those like those fighters did at that time yeah, and then yeah. just just another thing just, just a quick mention to Roger Mayweather I, I love how he's in this movie and he's how they hype him up and how they, they show like how good he was in his career because it always in that family he always gets undershadowed about how really good he was when he was in his boxing career like he I think he's at least one. He at least held one title. I think he might have had a couple of titles at a couple different weight classes, but he was a really accomplished fighter. And he, you know, he was a quiet guy that you didn't hear as much about him as he did Floyd Jr. and even Floyd Senior. So yeah, I thought that was a nice tribute to him. And he nice. passed away what a couple of years ago now. I think it is. So, yeah, maybe two, three. Yeah. Let's jump into the soundtrack. So the music was composed by Julia Holter. She was a, a, a Holter is a 36 year old uh, American singer songwriter, record producer, and composer. This was only her second time compu- composing music for a film. The previous film was uh, like a made for basically TV movie called Own Worst Enemy. Uh, she was really young when she did this. She was only like 31. What did you think of the soundtrack? All good. Um, yeah, I like that era. I like the time frame. Uh, I love that time and era and the styles and the musics and all that kind of stuff. So I was all good with the web. I am not a music guru by any means either. So I uh, I like it. I just love that. I love that mid nineties era. To, I I got a soft spot for it. Web perfect placement of the stroke. Yeah. When they when they when they put it in the movie, where they put it, uh, yeah. like just like it's just like I'm back and like it, they play and like. I was just like, I remember sitting there last night and I was watching it again and I, it came on. It's like, yeah! And Sarah's like, what? I'm like, the stroke is a great tune. Like, I love that tune. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like, there's some great, great songs on here. Not like, I won't say like super well known songs. That's probably the most well known song on this soundtrack. Like, you've got, uh, what's the ACDC cut on here? It's not something that you, it's like, I mean, super ACDC fans will know it, but. Uh, rock and roll ain't noise pollution. Like that's not one of their like. I'll say that's a deeper cut. That's a deeper ACDC cut. You're not getting like shook me all night long or something. So you know, it, it's uh, yeah. This is it, it. I thought this was a great soundtrack for what it was. 
Um, and again, the, the music is fitting for the type of mood the movie's trying to portray, right? So I loved it. I thought it was really, really well done. I thought it was unreal. I thought it was one of the better soundtracks. And, yeah. and to me, it was one of the things I liked the most about the movie. I really, li- I thought it was really fitting. I thought it pumped you up in the scenes where you need to get pumped up. It had the right tone. And I thought Julia Holter did an amazing job. She's super young. Not She hadn't done much. And I was thinking, like, on a movie where you've got, you know, some accomplished uh, heavy hitters, like we talked about with Scorsese and Bruce Cohen, I'm like, they you could know, have got anybody, and they went. They probably could have. And yeah, they saw the talent in her, and she. I think she knocked it out of the park. She did a great job. I mean, it's always nice too when we get to do a movie where there's actual, like, I'll say, pop popular music involved in it, yeah. right? Where we can talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, good job. Yeah. Let's jump into our wrap up. Where does this movie rank among all time boxing movies, and where do you have it among all time sports movies? Boxing for me. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very cool. I liked the Pazienza story. My dad taught me about this in the 90s. So I have a huge soft spot for Vinny Paz, or Vinny Paz, as he goes by now. Um, I think he's pretty cool, charismatic, and I really miss this boxing. So I'm going to put it in the top 10 of boxing for me. Um, I really enjoy it. Uh, overall, uh, it's a top, I'd say it's a top 40 for me. I would. I really enjoyed it. I love the story of it. Um, I like the New England piece. I love the Las Vegas scenes. I love the fighting. I love the training. I love the dialogue between Kevin and Vinny. I like the family aspect of it, the actors, the actresses, the soundtracks. It's a movie that I can watch, you know, I can watch multiple times. And on Netflix, I can throw that back on. I'll watch it again anytime. I enjoyed it. I loved, like I said, I love the Italian. I love the family sitting down and having dinner. I, for some yeah. reason, that I had a soft spot for that. And I loved how no matter how famous you are, you still go back to your family feet. Uh, piece. Very good movie, guys. So, Goodwill Hunting is my typical go-to hangover movie when I'm like super hungover and have the booze blues on the couch. Mm-hmm. This may like supersede Goodwill Hunting some days. Uh, I really enjoy this movie. I like when we when I, when I found it on Netflix because uh, we were just cruising. I was cruising around looking for something to watch one day, and I saw this, and I was like, "What the hell? I've never even heard of this movie." So I flipped it on. I remember texting you guys like almost instantly saying, we got to do this movie. Like it's freaking awesome. Uh, and watching it again last night. And this is like a couple months later. I still really, really enjoyed it. I've only seen it the two times. I, I, I feel like this is one I could come back to pretty regularly boxing all time. I don't know where I would put it. Like I, Jamer, I'm using your list as reference. I'd say it's probably going to go in the top. Anywhere between, I'm going to say anywhere between five and ten, roughly, probably around the eight spot, uh, yeah. just off the top. Like, I, there's a couple movies that I'm looking at your list. I'm like, I would put it ahead of that one, put it that one, but I don't know if I could put your top five and my top five are pretty consistent. So I'm going to go. I'll say just for you know sake of argument, I'll go eight. Uh, I'll put it all time boxing in times of, in terms of all time movies. Yeah, it's definitely in my top fifty now. Um, I, if I were to revise my list, I would say it's probably in, yeah, it might be closer to the 40 spot too, Jared. Like it's, I like it. I like it a lot. And I thought the actors, um, while there's no big name superstar, like, you know, oh my God, I got to watch it. There's no Denzel or there's no, you know, somebody that we've t- covered in a bunch of other movies. The cast is really, really well put together. Um, and the people that they did put in the roles did a great job. So yeah, I would, I'd rank it in my, probably in my top. Anywhere between 35 and 50. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you guys. Uh, when I made my list, I hadn't watched this movie yet. So 
at thinking back on it, I probably have it somewhere around eight or nine as well. I might because boxing. It might be one of my favorite genres of sports movies. Or some There's a lot movies. of boxing movies too. Yeah. There's a lot, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's I easy. That's... It's an easy thing to write a movie on when you think it about is, it. Yeah, I mean, there's so many stories that like it just fits the, the you know most courageous stories. It's a modern day gladiator. Like it, yeah. it is what it is. So um, yeah, I probably got it right around there. It's probably somewhere between forty and fifty all time. It's it's, it's a great movie. I echo the exact same things you guys say. Um, so this. This week's draft, um, fitting along the lines of the movie that we just did, we are doing a draft of the greatest injury comeback stories in sports history. So, greatest injury comeback stories in sports history. Um, I think I have the first pick this week. I believe you do. I think it's it's you, then JR, then me. Does that sound right, JR? Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to have to go... This is a pretty obvious one. I'm sure you guys probably have this one at the top of your list as well. But this guy, is not only is he one of the greatest athletes to ever play his sport of all time, he has one of the most amazing comeback stories of all time in sports history. On on January 12, 1993, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and forced to undergo aggressive radiation treatments mid-season. Super Mario missed two months and on the last day of his radiation treatment, flew to Philadelphia to play that night on the same day he got his last radiation treatment. Despite missing two months, Mario Lemieux exploded after his return uh, to win his fourth NHL scoring title, finishing with a crazy 160 points in 60 games. So I'm going with Mario Lemieux with my number one pick. Great pick. Okay. so I don't think anybody would argue with that being a great first overall pick. I think that's a pretty good one, no doubt. Um, I think my pick, I'm going to go, he overcame a lot of different things. Um, I'm going to add him in this. I mean, maybe you can say no. Uh, He he overcame and still has to overcome again another big injury. Um, He overcame a lot of back issues, body issues. He overcame some, obviously, some infidelity issues. Um, He came back off depression. He came back off a lot of things. But he also had some serious body issues, his back, his legs, his gro- every your hamstrings, you name it. Jamarcus uh, Russell? He, no. <laughs> <laughs> he came back and he won the 2019 Masters. I'm going to Tiger Woods, boys. I mean, you Wrong can bad. say what you want. Tiger Wrong Woods bad. came back off a lot. I mean, he had his, obviously, his social issues and his infidelity issues. He had some serious, serious injuries to also overcome. He had to revamp his entire swing because his body basically said no more. In the words of Berto Redurant, they said no mas. His body said no mas to him. Because his swing was so violent. Hey, Bryson DeChambeau, take note. Take Yeah, it's going to shut down on you. So, Eldrick, I got to show you out on that, and you can do it again, my man. Yeah, for sure. Good luck. Great pick. Good Great luck. pick, JR. He was on my list, too. Not my number one. My number one, I'm going to go with the, the recently retired former San Francisco 49er, uh, most recently of the Washington football team, came back. And had a over like I feel so bad for this guy. And Jr. and I have had this conversation many a times about my my feelings towards this guy, and just loved him, and just felt like he never ever got a fair shake. Uh, but I gotta go with my boy Alex Smith. Uh, congratulations to you on your retirement. Uh, 49ers for sure could have used you. Too bad captain workout, but you know could have used you. We love you, and uh, congrats on your retirement. So that's my number one. Number two. Um, I gotta go. Oh, geez. 
Okay, you guys got that one. You got that one. All right, number two, I think I got to go, and I think this counts. I got to go with probably next to Michael Jordan, he might be the most well-known basketball player of all time. Well, I can't say all time. Well, yeah, I probably can. Uh, For sure, probably when you think of point guards, probably the greatest point guard of all time. I remember watching the All-Star game when he came back and how the players embraced him after getting the AIDS and HIV diagnosis. I'm going to go with my boy Magic Irving Johnson uh, with Good. my second pick for sure. Great pick. Great pick. Yeah. Good for you. Um, all right. So my next pick is um, I have one that might be a little bit off the board, but it's an unbelievable story. I was actually researching it today. So she was a surfer who lost her arm because she got bit by a shark while she was surfing. Her name is Bethany Hamilton. She had her arm bit off by a tiger shark, and those things are nasty. Yeah. So, cut a long story. It literally bit off her. It bit off her arm. She came back at seventeen to win a national title as a surfer. So, I'm going to go. And two months later, she was surfing again. That is unbelievable. So, I'm going with Bethany Hamilton, the surfer. Great pick. And I think they did a movie about that, didn't they? Isn't it like Blue, Blue Crush? Is that it, or is that something else? Uh, that's something <laughs> I'm else. I'm not sure. They did a movie, I forget what it was called, but I think, uh, who's Ryan, Ryan Reynolds' wife? Oh, Mike oh, Lively? Um, yeah, yeah, I think she plays the lead in it. Oh, cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Good picks, boys. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go with this guy. He used to be a very good all-star level pitcher until he damaged his arm so badly that all medical experts said his career was over. An innovative medical mind by the name of Dr. Frank Job invented a nifty surgery and saved this pitcher's career. To the, uh, to the pitcher, um, <clears throat> sorry, the pitcher for allowing him to be his guinea pig, Dr. Job actually uh, named this now famous surgery after him. So I'm picking Tommy John, which uh, and it, an interesting thing about Tommy John was he was 32 years old when he got this surgery. A lot of guys are kind of like almost at the end of their career anyway at that point. He went on to pitch for 14 more seasons. And he won 20 games and finished second in the Cy Young voting only two years after he got the surgery. So I'm going with Crazy. Tommy John. Crazy. Wow. It's you again, James. Oh, yeah. Sorry. All right. That's my bad. For my last pick, I'm going to go uh, a little bit off the grid with this one. I'm going uh, with this guy in 1976 on his way to his second world championship title in Formula One racing. This racing legend in his prime of his career hit a little bump in the road. He wiped out in the race, and his car burst into flames. The driver got torched inside his Ferrari, and much of his face was incinerated before he was pulled to safety. He bled internally, and he lapsed into a coma. He wasn't given much chance for survival, but somehow he pulled through. Forty-three days later, he was behind the wheel at the Italian Grand Prix, and this amazing guy went on to win two more championship titles before retiring. I'm talking about Nicky Lauda. I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie um, with... I think it was Chris Hemsworth who played um, his British counterpart. But um, there's a movie about the, basically their rivalry. and uh, uh, That one's fairly and, recent, right? Yeah, it was like a couple of years ago. Yeah, I remember um, seeing a preview for it. It might be called Drive or something like that. But it was, yeah, uh, no, it was or Driven or something. Driven or something. Yeah. Okay. Nikki Lauda, though. Pretty crazy story. Okay, my last pick. Uh, I'm going to go with a guy who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Played for the with the Steel Curtain team in the 1970s, uh, Bradshaw, all those guys. He's a Super Bowl champion. Uh, he was hurt in an ambush in Vietnam. Uh, lost the use of part of his right foot and his leg, 
He took shrapnel um, upon an ambush on his platoon. Um, he became a Super Bowl champion as a running back against the Purple People Eaters of Minnesota. He took 17 carries for 65 yards. Super Bowl champion Rocky Blair. And he is a legend in Pittsburgh, that guy. So I'm going with Rocky Blair. Very cool story. Uh, all right. Uh, and lots of great people to pick from. Uh, okay, I'm going with my all-time favorite athlete of all time. And for <laughs> our... Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, he's going to need a, a bigger comeback. Put it that way. Uh, no, I'm going with. Uh, sorry, sorry to all our American listeners, but I'm going pure, pure north of the border here. The guy lost a leg and ran almost halfway across our country. I'm going with my guy, the ultimate athlete uh, to me, and probably to uh, many other people. I'm going with our guy Terry Fox. Great nice, pick. well, yeah. good pick. Some uh, some honorable mentions. I want to give a shout out to Josh Hamilton. Who was, I was I thought for sure he was going to be on your list, James. He was on my yeah. list. He was close. I mean, uh, five tool center fielder athlete, first overall, uh, fell into an abyss of depression and substance abuse. Didn't play baseball for two whole years. Came back and won MVP and became an absolute stud. What about uh, like him, love him, hate him, Lance Armstrong? Yeah, that's yeah. your boy, Jay. That's your boy. That's my guy. I was one of my guys. Lance Armstrong. I was your guy. Call you were a big Liv Strong guy. I was a Liv Strong guy. You were call a Liv Strong guy. Call uh, what you want. I've, I've got the book. It's not about the bike. I'll, I don't know if you've read that. It's a really I've read book. them both. I've read his books. They're, yeah. yeah they, really what about book. on that same vein as Josh Hamilton more so than Lance? Mm. Uh, how about Agassi? Yeah, he was on my list too, Andre Agassi. I mean, and then Jamer, Jamer and I were talking about JR before you jumped on. The one that I have on my list, I mean, it's not so much an injury, but it's a pretty significant thing to come back from and still dominate. What about Serena Williams? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. yeah. Of course. Just crushing it still. Just right. Absolutely. Yeah. Serena's should totally be on the list. Yeah. Uh, Monica Sellis. Monica oh, Sellis. Remember yeah. that? That was yeah. wild. Carrie Strug. Remember Carrie Strug at the 90s? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Peyton Manning got his neck fused and then came back uh, with all the records, single season records. What about season. Nancy Kerrigan? Nancy I thought about Nancy Kerrigan today. Melissa and I were talking today too, and there was one I didn't know if she fully fit on it or not. I was going to mention her was there's a women's soccer player, Abby Wabak. Oh yeah, okay, she's yeah. had a lot of issues. She had a DUI. She had addiction to painkillers. She had a lot of things go wrong in her life. She's and a big time. She was like a big time American soccer player for sure. Yeah. She might be the all-time leading goal scorer. Or Christine she, Sinclair, she's right up there. She's right around the top. Yeah. And she tells us her stories are crazy. Melissa put on a podcast today with her on it, and I was like, wow. She would, like, do the autograph signings, be like Miss USA Soccer or whatever, and then go to her hotel room and, like, drink for two days straight and not come out. Like, it was wild. And you're like, holy cow. It's just the issues. Mental health is what it is. Like, Look at us evolving considering figure skating a sport. <laughs> You're a triple sow cow, Webb. Yeah, that's right. Toe loop. All right, tell them where to head us up, Webb. All right, thanks again, everybody, for listening and engaging with us on social. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. And please continue to engage with us on Twitter at Big League Flicks and on Instagram at Big League Flicks Pod. You can also check us out on TikTok, where you can see old Brucey. Uh, and on YouTube, you can check us out where we're doing these lovely Skype videos. So check us out. Have Take a great care, week. Everybody. Take care, everyone.
Boots and the clicks and the glamour Got a cold beer pairing for the leading lady staring Fun facts and trivia and man rocket comparing Soundtracks and music, they'll rate all these things Was it real or did they lose us as the fat lady sings? Talking junk, have a giggle, comedy, drama, romance Did the film deliver six to noon in my pants With their big bag of tricks, these podcast critics Jordan Christian and Jamma with Big League Flicks Jordan Christian and Jamma with Big League Flicks Jordan Christian and Jamma